if you looked at me, you'd think I was black. Because it's, it's easy to make someone look black for, like, screen, like if you're watching it at home. Mm. But imagine doing makeup so good that you'd think I was black right now. Like, that's a bit harder. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, to pass in real life. And yeah, then you yeah. had to also change your voice, I guess, a little bit. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm not talented enough to change my voice. There was, there, was, there was sort of, like, this vague implication I was some sort of Australian... Aboriginal African American, like to, to everyone in Chicago, like it was like unspoken what the reason was. From the smallest room in New York City comes a show that gives you a reason to live. Ah, I'm happy to speak today to Australian documentary maker, radio broadcaster, true crime author John Safran. I'm very honoured to be in the smallest room in New York City. After falling asleep, not in a bad way, that sounds like I'm saying it's in a bad way, that I've fallen asleep to your show for years from my uh, little bedroom in uh, Melbourne, Australia. But I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Well, I, I, take, it, I take it in a good way. I, we, I hear from time to time, well, you know, uh, you're in my ears when I fall asleep. And I think, well, there must be something about, you know, rape and robbery and murder <laughs> that people say, oh, that's, that's soothing. But maybe it's your voice. People have told me that I've got a, a, a kind of bouncy little squeaky voice that, like, makes small children happy. It's like Barney or something. <laughs> right. Does Barney even have a voice? But you know what I mean. You yeah, know, like, yeah. some, like, exactly. little cheerful. Pe- yeah, cheerful. Yeah, and, and, and you do. And, and it's, it's, it's uh, I, I enjoy listening to your show, because for, you know, for that reason. And, uh, and, and I think that it, it goes along with your, with your actual personality, what you're doing. I mean, like, uh, it, we, it's, you and I are, we're similar in age. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, we both studied journalism. You, uh, I, I'd quit school. I think you pulled out as well. Yes, yes, yes. Just in case there's um, any of my old university teachers listening, saying, "Oh, John's trying to big note himself and say he finished the course." It's not true. <laughs> I've, I did about two years, and then we we're about to get into ethics, and I thought, oh. "I'm getting out of here now." <laughs> yeah. That's what makes it boring. <laughs> and you do you do things that would compromise my integrity as a journalist, but um, you, but. You're, what you're doing is 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 making the story sometimes, and you're, and it, and and uh, you've traveled uh, all over the world doing that. You're pursuing it. It seems like you're chasing something down. Uh, Thailand, the Middle East, and Japan, uh, Philippines, Netherlands, all, really everywhere. I mean, uh, what am I leaving out? The um, <clears throat> I've been to Brazil. I've been to Haiti. Haiti. I did a, like some voodoo there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love the talk about going to the source. Yes. I mean, it's the, that's the most authentic voodoo. That makes that New Orleans voodoo look like a yeah, that New Orleans Kentucky voodoo, Fried Chicken. That's you know. bullshit. Yeah. No. <laughs> what, what yeah, you if you're a New, New Orleans voodooist, don't. I was just joking. Yeah. Don't don't do any voodoo on me. Oh, yeah, they're sticking to John Safran doll now. Are you? What kind of uh, voodoo did you do down there? Or in Haiti? The well, the first thing there's, there's lots of voodoo snobs who sort of like. <laughs> <laughs> of course there are. At the starting point, like, if, if, if you even say, oh, this, I'm kind of interested in voodoo, and they're like, you yeah, know, you don't know anything about voodoo. Like, for, it's not even spelled V-O-O-D-O-O, it's V-O-U-D-O, and, you know, and, yeah. and pe- people are always, like, hassling you, like, you don't know nothing about, which you don't, but, like, they're the ones who started it by making this really interesting, like, colourful 
uh, vibrant, fascinating religion, and so yeah. it's not it's not my fault that I'm interested in it. Sure, they it's, shouldn't they shouldn't have made it interest so in, goddamn interesting. It, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm attracted to it. It's like it's, it's, we have something here called Santeria. Ah, yes, yeah, yes. and and uh, we are that's the official religion of New York City Crime Report, of course. <laughs> uh, you know, anything that involves skin goat heads uh, hanging over a wire, we're going to go ahead and support. But uh, you know, you, not, you, we're not willing to travel for it. The you, you know, in Haiti, like you, you're in the little voodoo temple and you're looking up and there's like freemason like symbols every like they've somehow like soaked that up into the uh the religion as well oh I'll be. there's a lot of like soaking up of catholicism and you know animism and you know freemasonry well that's great i mean a, a, a religion that could just like like uh, totally take other things yes. and incorporate them like that and, and and then you end up with something it's a stew it's a it's a voodoo stew, and and I think you were trying to. Uh, does that something to do with your ex girlfriend? Right? Ah, yes, yeah. One of the one of the first stories I did, which started me off, was I went to West Africa, in fact, and was looking into voodoo there. And I thought, just to you know, make it practical, like I happened to have a photo and a letter from my ex girlfriend. So I went around to all the different just happened voodoo, to have yeah, that. <laughs> I said, oh, listen, can you show me how you know what what voodoo is? Anyway, that. That started off, and like my ex girlfriend at first was unhappy with it, but now we're friends, so it's all. If anyone's listening, thinking to not like me based on the fact I put a voodoo curse on my ex girlfriend, me and her are fine now, so it's like you shouldn't hate me because she doesn't. Well, yeah, that's part of the curse. Yes, she has to stay friends <laughs> with you now. <laughs> that's uh, I, I, that I would that would apply more to me. I, I, I the exes that I that I'm friends with, I think, uh, I, I always feel like sort of a burden, uh, you know. Uh, but but I'm happy when it works out that way. So uh, I, what did the curse? I'm, I'm curious about the curse. You don't seem to want to go into it. I don't know. The, <laughs> the I'm trying to think what the cur- I think the curse was just f- fairly general. Like I tried not to make it too mean or whatever. Mm, there's, mm-hmm. there's a definite division between men who hear about the curse. They're like, oh, that's a cool little thing. Tell me about it. And then women, and they're not, they're not into it. They, they're, they're like, how could you play with fire like that, even if you weren't being 100% serious, like you can just set off really bad things in the universe. Well, fortunately for, for you, uh, no women listen to this show. <laughs> Also uh, pretended to be uh, a, a black guy in in Chicago. Yeah, I went undercover with as a black person. It was based on there was this book written I think in the late fifties where mm-hmm. this white guy went undercover for black like me to black try to like me, yeah. yeah to try to experience what it was like. So you know I was like joke I'd like it wasn't like I was, I seriously thought I could experience it. So it was being a bit playful or whatever. But uh, and we got the prosthetic guys who'd done this reality show where they'd made white people black and black people white so i was like uh you know if you if you looked at me you'd think i was black because it's, it's easy to make someone look black for like screen like if you're watching it at home mm. but imagine doing makeup so good that you would think i was black right now like that's a bit harder oh yeah yeah i mean to pass in real life and yeah, then you yeah. had to also change your voice i guess a little bit no no no, no. <laughs> I just, i'm not talented <laughs> enough to change my voice it was, it was there was sort of like this vague implication i was some sort of australian aboriginal african-american like to, to everyone in chicago like it was like unspoken what the reason was that i was sort of like had a just a squeaky australian lispy jewish voice you sound less black than anybody i've ever met <laughs> I was gonna get when I was in Mississippi. Uh, I thought I was gonna get in trouble if anyone discovered my 
my digital footprint of all my antics because when I went there to research, I was trying to be a bit more serious or whatever. Uh-huh. But yeah, you know, but you know, with the internet and everything, it didn't take long for everyone to realise I had clownery in my past. <laughs> but it, it kind of worked out well because people like relate to you more. Like when they realise you're not really, you know, totally serious or whatever, I think they think you're, you know. Vulnerable or something. There was it was unexpected. Like like I thought everyone would turn on me. We well, have a likability for sure. You know, and all that stuff when you're having a good time. And if yeah. you're down there to bust balls and tell them how they're supposed to live, then I'm from the south. I know yeah. they don't like that. You went you went to Mississippi. That's has to be one of the biggest adventures. Uh, you know, and I mean that like uh, you know half ironically, I guess. <laughs> you know, because uh, Mississippi is like, I yeah, hey look, uh, love the place. You know, yes. um, but it's but to spend six months. You know, uh, you have to you have to really settle in yeah, to a different pace, a different uh, type. I mean, like you're from Melbourne; it's a, a big city, and, and, and different weight as well. I, put, I kept on just putting on weight. I've never got. I put on like twelve kilograms. <laughs> What's that in American? I don't know what that means. I don't know. Okay, it, like that's so much. I don't know. They, Twelve we, kilograms. Yeah, we got. Yeah. We'll, I'll convert it. Yeah, here convert it. Yeah. Like you'll be you'll be stunned once I do the conversion. I'm gonna bet. I'm gonna bet it's like like twenty eight thirty pounds, something like that. that yeah. So yeah. So yeah. It, it was it was huge. That would no, be a lot. Yeah. I I and it, it, it's partially America's fault because in in Walmart all their pants they sort of. Their medium's really an extra large. Oh, sure. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so you're sort of like just buying clothes there and, and you're going, oh, I must be fine yeah, because I'm, I'm still medium. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're the thinnest guy in town. <laughs> they certainly and, don't discourage it. And I didn't notice, I didn't notice because I went to New York afterwards and I noticed I was like, I was slim for Mississippi, but then I was like, yeah, I was fat for New York. Yeah, yeah, a little pudgy. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, they, they have all the fried food and they do it so well. I love southern food. Uh, did you have any biscuits and gravy? Uh, oh, I, I have yeah, to ask it, about that. The Americans don't understand that, like in other countries, you can have, food, like for instance, milk. Mm. If you get that in Australia, it just tastes like, like it seems like in America, at least in, like you can't get milk that doesn't have, you know, like some sort of like chocolate or sugar <laughs> or just, and bread tastes like cake in America. Like, like if you get bread in the uh-huh. rest of the world, it's like, damn. Plain, boring, goddamn bread. Like this is awful. But bread in America sounds like tastes like sweet cake. Really? Yes. Oh wow! I had no idea how good we had it. <laughs> <laughs> that explains so much. Uh, the book is called "God Will Cut You Down," and it's about uh, uh, you, John Safran. We yes. go to uh, now. Uh, tell me about Richard Barrett. Uh, and well, well, well a Richard- fascinating character. Yeah, well, he was born in New Jersey, but he spent a lot of time in New York. So that, that's why you're allowed to have me on the show, because it just, you know, <laughs> fits in with the theme. And anyway, he was a New Yorker. And then in, nine, in the mid-60s, early 60s, he moved to Mississippi. And he sort of tried to be... He immediately kind of was this strange character there, because to be a Mississippian... You have to ha- go back like ten generations and be a Mississippian. You can't just rock up and be a Mississippian. Anyway, so he, but he, he just rocked up. Yeah, and not, tried from, to, not from New York, anyway. Right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he was like this, and he tried to be more Mississippi than the Mississippians, you know. And he tried to set up, he set up this white supremacist group that he was trying to get everyone on board with. But everyone's like, "What the hell is this New Yorker just turning up <laughs> to Mississippi trying to?" But you know, even when you lead with white supremacy, they're like <laughs> Yankee. Yes. Yeah. So they um. And so the FBI were onto him straight away, and also local law enforcement. So, so they kept on just following him around for decades. And then after he 
uh, anyway, so but by the time I rocked up, that was in uh, uh, 2009, and uh, I, I went there to try to get a saliva sample off him to take to a DNA testing facility. So I, you know, because we're all more mixed up than you than you think. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and that was for one of the my my TV series about race, where you know I was just looking into all the complexities and all that stuff. So I went there and I got a saliva sample off him, not entirely with his permission, uh-huh. and then, <laughs> then took it to a DNA testing facility. And to then, say the least, yes. I read the book. Yes. It was completely without his permission. <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, yeah, that might have been one of the ethical issues you were talking about before. Ah, uh, come on, who cares what about the, that? You, what does the American Association of Journalism say about how you procure a saliva sample off someone? I was, I was more concerned with the fact that you uh, married a, a relative of uh, Osama bin Laden, you know. <laughs> Uh, the, but, you know, I, I, I do support your initial reason for getting the DNA test to see if you were wasting your time on this whole, you know, to make sure that you were actually Jewish. Yeah, that, that's that's true because uh, to be considered Jewish genetically, like your mother and your mother's mother and mother's mother's mother, they all have to be Jewish. And then because there's been advances in DNA testing technology in the last 10 years, it's made things awkward for the Jewish community because, like, you can go off and get tested and all these Jews are finding out that, well, according to that definition... Maybe they're not exactly Jewish. So I was like, oh, cool. Which opens <laughs> up a lot of women. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, this is cool because, like, I'm Jewish. And so I was like, oh, maybe if I'm not Jewish, I don't have to marry a Jew. Because, yeah, especially, like, in Melbourne, it's it's quite conservative. So there's a lot of, like, pressure. You're not allowed to, like, go off and, you know, marry a yeah, and hot I kn- Eurasian or something. It's, I not, d- it's not like the law or anything. It's just, like, social stigma. Uh-huh. And I noticed that you uh, you almost you drew a parallel there between, uh, you know, the, 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 the prejudice there, uh, you know, and, and the prejudice in Mississippi. And, like, you actually come to Mississippi to escape the prejudice. Yes. Of, of <laughs> which is just nuts, you know. Uh, but um, so, so you're saying, you know, Richard uh, is set up. Yeah, the, so, so uh, yeah, we went to the DNA testing. Uh, or I went and... I was Jewish on both sides going back forever. So, yeah. And then, <laughs> then, but, but then Richard's DNA sample, uh, you know, the way we filmed it revealed he had African DNA. So then I returned to one of his meetings and I got up at the podium in front of you know, Richard and his, and I r- revealed the results. And, uh, you know, I said, oh, Richard, this is a bit awkward, but, you know, Yesterday I procured a saliva sample off you, took it to a DNA testing facility and the results are in and um, you've got African DNA, you're part African. But then I said, I said, oh, listen, don't worry, it's not like you're black, black. It's more you're white and a bit black, like Barack Obama. <laughs> and that, that, that didn't make him happy. That's not going to help, yeah. Yeah, that didn't help at all. And it's, like I that, t- it's like that scene in True Romance yes. right? Dennis Hopper. And I tried to soften the blow in front of the at the white supremacist meeting by going, oh, listen, Richard, don't worry. Like, if you would go back far enough, we're all mixed up. I'm probably not even, you know, all Jewish or whatever. And then I had to, like, escape. Yeah, yeah, yes. that's a good time to run. <laughs> yes. And so, and, and so it turns out a year later... Uh, and, yeah, he gets know, murdered. He gets murdered, yeah. And and, uh, and and you seize the opportunity. It's, you know, I've got to write a true crime book. Now, you'd never written a true crime book. No, or never written any book. And so it was like the court case was going to start in a month. And so I was either going to get on a plane and, you know, with a dictaphone and a notepad or, or not. Like, it's not like the case was going to stop or I could wait six months. And so there wasn't enough time, you know, to go around and try to pitch a TV idea or a doco idea. And I also like the fact because, like, the two most famous true crime books in Cold Blood and Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil were all like an outsider going into rural America. 
and you know hang out with the local yahoos and stuff so like, i had that blueprint i was like okay because it, it's always so scary doing a project and, and especially in a new category so it's like it's good to kind of have some kind of anchoring and so this was like okay so i'll just do what they did and you know i'll do i'll be the outsider like there's, there's a precedent to do that sort of style of thing so yes yeah, so, so then i just went over there and and because because you know i just thought there's not going to be a second white supremacist who gets murdered that i happen to have hung out with a year earlier yeah the, the, the chances of that are extremely remote and and it doesn't you and and you talk about being an outsider coming in you don't get any more outside uh you know uh <laughs> jackson mississippi uh than yourself and when you when you first got there your first observation was uh, there's a dichotomy there medgar edwards uh, uh it's the airport right yeah and uh and 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 it's it's uh it, it is a dual kind of thing that that's going on there. It's eighty percent black, as yeah. you mentioned. Uh, so in the middle of all that, now you you call yourself a race trekkie. Yes. Uh, what kinds of uh, what kinds of ob- observations were you making that didn't go into the book? That uh, that didn't go into the book. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I, I get I guess one of the well one of the first things I started to notice was because when you're an outsider, like to say you're from multicultural Melbourne, Australia, and you go to Mississippi, you see how it's, there's just so much self-segregation between, you know, black, the black community and the white community. But then I started thinking, oh, well, in, in Melbourne, if you took out all the middle... We've got, it's a bit like New York, I guess. We've got, like, all these middle-class sort of, you know, caramel people, you know, whether they be Asian or Arab or Indian or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you actually got rid of all of those and... Which to white people, we just the caramel people. Yeah, just the caramel people. <laughs> I'm not really but, sure what you are. Yeah. But, but if, 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 in, if in Melbourne, Australia, you just had the Aboriginal Australians and the white people, it'd probably be as harshly segregated as between black and white mississippians we've Hmm. we've just got this sort of like this buffer that sort of like means we don't we don't have to like face up to that interesting yeah and 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 i think historically uh there's there's been a big white black divide uh in in the south anyway Uh, i don't i don't know how much the that contributes to the whole um dynamic i mean it probably does and and i guess the other thing i don't think this made it into the book but uh there was a local newspaper there that had an advertisement. This when I first went over there, and this like group of restaurants somewhere in I think it might have been in Jackson, it was somewhere in Mississippi. They were like they were offering a discount, you know, fifteen percent off if you if you eat and sit at a table with someone of a different race at the diner. Wow! So this was like two thousand and nine. <laughs> like that's how much of a self segregation issue there was, and then. Even if that happened somewhere else, no one would like fess up to it. But like, and, oh and God. To, to who would you know, now pay full price? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a financial incentive. Yeah, that's I've never heard of that before. Uh, yeah, I, one of my favorite things that I saw in the book uh, was uh, this this sentence right here. Now, at some point, you're, you're speaking to one of the characters, one of the locals, and and uh, I believe it was a relative of uh, of McGee. I think. And, and McGee's the black McGee. guy who killed Richard Barrett. The exactly. White supremacist. Yes. Yep. Of course. Oh, oh we, we, gosh, we got behind in the narrative there. But uh, <laughs> I said, "Good Lord!" You know, said this is pretty much the first time I've heard a Mississippian express curiosity in something happening outside of Mississippi. Yes. A question about Australia, and and I thought, you know what? Being from the South originally, that nails it. 
there's nobody, they, you know, nobody cares. Yeah, because it, 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 and it's weird because it, like you come to America, you come to New York or Los Angeles, and people are just so interested. Like the fact you're Australian or the fact you're from somewhere else, people are like, oh, they engage and they're kind of interested in that. Whilst yeah, and there are even if they're asking you corny stuff, you know, like oh, so do you know Paul Hogan? <laughs> even, but there's, there's some level where they're kind of like excited or interested or engaged with the world. But yeah, in Mississippi, it was about three months in. I just thought this is weird. Like no one's ever asked me anything and like and I'm, I'm asking them so much about that so it would be like perfect for them to go yeah so anyway but but yeah, be, they, beyond like they don't think outside of america but it's beyond that they don't think outside of mississippi oh yeah and and so and it gets there's like two sides to it like you, you're meant to kind of go oh it's really you know don't judge don't judge or whatever but after after a while you do start judging and start because it's it's a bit uh self-indulgent and it's not just mississippian i'd say the same as there's an element of that like in the melbourne orthodox jewish community or, or anything you know like the, the there's the, the it's, it's not like a unique thing but it's this thing where you kind of you you contextualize everyone who's not you as almost having no importance or agency beyond how they sort of like are against you so, yeah. so, so so the way the mississippians the only time they'd ever talk about new yorkers would be about Oh, yeah, in New York, they all hate us or everyone in the rest of America kind of hates us. And, and like, you know, there's an element of truth. I'm not saying it's totally one thing, but after a while it just becomes like, well, you know, they, all these people in New York do have, like, hopes and dreams and they're living their lives. It's not like they wake up every morning and they're thinking about you mm, and how yeah. they can... <laughs> so, so, so it becomes, yeah, this whole kind of real insular, parochial, inward-looking thing becomes a bit much after you stay there for a while. And, and, again, and it's even like counties. It's like it, it'd probably be they'd exp be expanding their horizon if it was like, I'm going to think about the whole of Mississippi, not just my county. <laughs> but, but it's like... Yes. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's an intellectual laziness and it, and it does come from kind of like... A, a, it, it is like a, a an ego thing, I think. You know, I mean, it's like it doesn't really. They're in a bubble. Uh, you know, New York is a bubble too, but it's yeah. a different kind of bubble. At least it's multicultural. A lot of things are happening. Yeah. It's New York City, and you know, if you're in a bubble there, wow, what a quiet bubble. Uh, you know, and um, uh, it doesn't. You know, you think about a good person, bad person. It's just so small. Uh, now. Uh, um, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, Tennessee, Georgia. That's, what, that's where you're from, Tennessee. I am from Tennessee. I am, and so I'm, I'm used to that. Uh, you know, like they they channel all their intellectual curiosity uh, into a look, into looks, just peculiar looks. Yeah. They rather just look at you <laughs> like you're strange and go, I, I recognize that you're different, and uh, and and I should avoid you. And I think there's there's a fear of anything, uh, you know, that comes from uh, not. It's 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 also an affect too. You know, they yeah. want you. I think it's a defense. They're very defensive. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting thing, uh, but, but it, uh, it did make it in interesting for me, me being there writing the book because people just could not figure it out. Like they thought there was some riddle to crack, which there probably was. But like, because this case just happened to like tick all the boxes of my obsessions that I have, and but it, like it wasn't a famous case. So you know, like uh, talking to the local district attorney in Rankin County, I could just tell he's like, "What? I just don't get this. Like, why has an Australian flown over for this unfamous?" case which is so weird because i mean like reading it, you think like oh this would have to be huge news you know yeah. i mean it's it is so interesting and, and and i guess some things just don't and now i don't know how much you want to go into the, the plot of the book I don't right? know, whatever, whatever you want well well you know uh, it's uh, vincent uh, mcgee who who was um he, he turns out like he, he's it, apparently the murderer right yeah. he's the murderer he, he confesses he's willing to take a, a i mean he goes to court a huge sentence you know 65 uh, years 65 years Pled, pled guilty 
I'm guilty. So that was his plea bargain. <laughs> so his plea bargain was, I'll take 65 years. And he was in his early 20s, so he's not going to leave prison apparently till he's like 90. So which begs the question, why would you take, accept that plea bargain? Yeah. And it's like maybe there's a big secret he didn't want to be revealed in a court case yeah and and that secret is uh is, is also a secret that that uh, richard barrett took to his grave but yeah. uh, it wasn't quite as secret as he thought apparently in in the community uh, a lot of people seem to know what the deal was with 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 he and uh, other men yeah well, one of one of the kind of interesting things there because richard was 65 years old and a white supremacist so he kind of mixed in that circle or at least can i i'll, I'll say i'll call him a white nationalist you know how one funny thing about these clan types is they're as sensitive about, and as PC in their own way <laughs> as like some like Berkeley, you know, university, you know, PC person. Like, it's like, oh, don't call me a white supremacist. I'm a white nationalist, okay? And they're, they're, they're really easily wounded. And so after a while, I'm uh, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Anyway, so he, well, yeah. he mixed in white nationalist circles and well, can i say real quick yes. that's one thing that i noticed about the book right away is that you don't really take a tone with with the white supremacist <laughs> white nationalists you know you you you're very like fair you know and and i thought like you know that that's kind of a good thing because like even though i'm sure you have your personal feelings about it you don't bring them to bear all the time because that would get to hitting that note over and over again would be tedious if you yeah. had to condemn it and damn it every single time you brought it up so i, I and, and also that. i don't think it's i, I reckon it's I don't, I don't have a moral problem with saying that people who do bad things and or want to do bad things at least uh, have this real kind of human side to them. Like that's almost it's it's a good thing to know because then you know that people who want to do bad things aren't always going to be cartoon villains. They're going to be charming. They're going to be warm. They're going to have good sides to them. So it's sort of. It's a good message to yeah, put out yeah, there. It really is, and it's something that's that little done. There's not a lot of nuance in, in the way we portray our uh, people that we're against, you know, and it's, it's, it's very black or white these days, especially, like, you know, uh, any kind of rape allegation. Yeah. You can't imagine... You know that person never. People don't want to t- have anything to do with them anymore. Uh, and I'm not saying again. You know, I mean, <laughs> just like you're not pro-white supremacy. I'm not pro-rape. However, you know, people are human, and and you know, you, you don't hear a lot of that. Yeah. I, so, I know. I know well, in Australia when they have a film about how the Aboriginal Australians have been screwed over, they always. They'll have some ye olden days, you know, English guy, and he's always like the worst person in the world, and you know, and he, and it's a boo boo. But <laughs> but but I know, in like in contemporary Australia, the sort of the racists who get traction and are able to do like bad things and get into power, like uh, you know, we ha- we'll have a politician, and it's always like they're very charming and they're very, and that's how they kind of that they sort of. They they get a following almost for the op- in, in the opposite thing. They don't they don't get a following because they they're cartoon villains. They get a following because, you know, they they present them things in a very warm and friendly and relatable way. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it's like a, a, a Satan uh, comes as a man of peace, yes. you know. And and there's kind of a biblical kind of a, 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 a the book is again God will cut you down. And now the original title of the book, Miss Murder in Mississippi. Yeah. You know, uh, is this for the American uh, reader or? I, I think Murder in Mississippi just sounds a bit bland in America. Like, outside of America, it's like, ooh, Mississippi. You just have to say that word and it sounds so <laughs> colourful. Everyone hides under the table as soon as I just hear the word Mississippi. And I was in America, it's like, oh, you know. So they, they wanted... I, I like the new title a lot. I do too. I do too. Yeah, and and, and so I, I was confused for a moment. And this is, I can't believe... In your first book, and, and you won uh, the, the true crime... Uh, you know, yeah, a local one in Australia, yeah. yes. Yeah. Which is uh, wow! Congratulations on oh, that. You. you know, 
I mean, that, that must feel great. Yeah, no, no, a book, you get a lot of dignity, like, that you don't get... Like, I've done, like, TV stuff, and, like, if you have a TV show, like, it's, like, the next day, everyone's, like, trying to figure out the angle to drag you down. Not, not me personally, but just in general, it's like, oh, well, the ratings weren't that good. Or But whilst a book, everyone's just so impressed you've written that many words in a row. Mm. So, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like they see your book in the book show. It's like, holy hell. I think it's something because we're, like... We've kind of descended to some idiocracy. It's like everyone's just like, holy shit, he knows how to write. Well, and, and plus, you're not sniffing any panties in this one. Yes, you know, that's which, fair uh, enough. Which an uh, interesting uh, uh, experiment. I'd be, I'd be curious, maybe we can talk about that later. Like, mm. uh, if you sniff the panties, five Jewish, five Eurasian women. Could yeah, you, could, yeah. I, I doubt you could tell a difference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was like, it was, it was probably a bit forced. I'd read this thing about pheromones, and so that was my, you know, creative way to try to bring that across but yeah mm. it might have gone a bit tasteless it, it got it got a didn't get a it didn't get a good reaction we'll talk about scoring with the women you yeah. know uh now uh, your podcast sunday night saffron uh, mm. and it's a it's it's a, a babble about religion politics and all things ethnic yes. well that's nothing controversial there <laughs> uh have you ever uh and and boy this is like uh i don't know if you'll even be able to speak to this i, I bet you can though yes. uh, uh stereotypes you know um they exist uh, and uh, you know like you want to okay say right now our mayor is very popular with black voters uh less popular with white voters he's also late a lot so i was trying to draw some kind of a you know that's the 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 you know the old uh, stereotype that black people often uh are are late they, they, but they don't think of it as late they say i'm not on time i'm in time i've heard that before so are there stereotypes that are true the um I, well I, I always try to i'm always like really self-conscious being a Jew, if I'm doing anything that's going to make, you know, play into a Jewish stereotype. So I'm always, like, paying for coffees, you know, when I'm out, you know, making, like, oh, listen, oh, no, no, here, take some more. <laughs> and also, because, like, Australia's not like New York, where there's, like, there's such a Jewish cultural, you know, thing going everywhere. It's, it's you know, like, I'm the Jew in Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, the one, <laughs> like, in the popular imagination. So I'm like, holy hell, I better not do any you know better not like embezzle money or anything like that or else it would just be like ah yeah we knew, we so knew. mind your manners yes. and, and uh, okay well, uh, well we'll let it go with that especially when you're at university it's so exciting to kind of turn up to a protest and you know and and i started realizing even though people turn up sometimes for the wrong reasons like they turn up just to have fun or to hang out or like that's not really a bad reason <laughs> like why not yeah not just, you know that's the best reason <laughs> yeah that's the best I, reason i think that that's what happened to the, when when the ferguson uh, indictment didn't come in it was 64 degrees in new york city and people yeah. were like fuck yes all right this is great they meet down at union square you know and then two days later it's 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 hailing and and, and 30 degrees and then the, the protests slowed down um who knows what's going to happen oh you, they're actually going to delay the announcement uh until the lighting of the of the tree so uh oh, that's where you have to be to me <laughs> <laughs> i've got a feeling that's one of those things that's going to look really bad in 30 years time mm. when they you know where they, they, they talk about the time they delayed it because you know they didn't want to upset the lighting of the tree yeah. <laughs> don't <laughs> it's, interrupt it's, our it, yeah it's not thing. it's not going to be a good look well, they might not have done it if they hadn't have fucked with the Thanksgiving Day Parade, you know. And oh, yeah, what happened there? Well, they, ju they just tried to disrupt it, and, and they the, that was their stated, you know, they, they're, they're tweeting about it. 
we're on our way and uh you know the cops had to hit some people so uh so that occurred also the police are kind of afraid apparently of these uh, protesters because they have in in, in, in the post high-tech anarchists and then you go well what is it and they're like macbook air <laughs> <laughs> twitter you know they're yeah, one step ahead of the really cops. hard to believe that the, you, you know when you hear about these things yeah like high-tech anarchists and you know these organized protesters and because i, I when i was yeah, when i was in university i'd always turn up to these things and if that was happening it was happening somewhere else because it just seemed to be like really badly organized and just uh, yeah but j- just not not at all like there's this secret fraternity of anarchists who oh, are right. sort of <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's like professional anarchists too apparently who, who just show up for protests do you know the, the worst thing about protests when i was in university i hated there were always like pr- these kind of protest snobs and i remember one there was a, a protest and we're in this little house talking about the signs and some guy said oh listen at the last protest someone you know had a a sign that had bart simpson you know which and it said like you know hey cops eat a cow man or something whatever or something like something <laughs> and i go listen we shouldn't do that because uh, bart simpson is a fox character and it looks like we're endorsing uh you know rupert murdoch's empire and i just thought oh this is just that, that's when i left the protest movement i thought this is just ridiculous yeah it gets, <laughs> it's pretty convoluted doesn't yeah. it man I, and I, I stopped believing in things a while back and i started feeling a lot better um now uh, uh do, you, do you know my killer ruined he tried to uh burn the body of the of the white supremacist and yes. burn down the house but he screwed it up because you have to have the windows open in the house to, you know, I, I'm not good at science, but uh, he, he had the windows shut and so they thought well, there was just a lot of smoke or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, later the, the cops told him he did it wrong and, and that was his big regret when I was speaking to the killer on the phone. He was going, oh, you learn your lessons. I, you know, next day if I did it again, like his big regret wasn't like the murder. Oh, it I was, can't believe yeah, that's a dead man and yeah, all that. Yeah, <laughs> the big regret was, oh, I just should have known about leaving the windows open for a good wind flow. Yeah, and 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 also he set the house on fire on both ends. Is that right? Oh yeah. Is that, is that also not the thing to do? Well, I think it's just a suspect. You know, <laughs> something about that looks a little fishy. Uh, two fires broke out simultaneously on either end. But uh, now you befriended the killer, and you became you know uh, apparently fairly close. You assisted him in his engagement, hmm. uh, which I don't know if that worked out or not. Uh, but when you say that he that he stabbed this guy, I mean it's to stab somebody's an emotional thing. Yeah. So he really uh, went at him hard. Yeah. Like uh, there was some eight-inch deep, uh, you know, uh, uh, knife wounds and and and, and eight-inch long as well. So uh, what was it you think that made him feel that strongly? I mean, I, I kind of I have an idea from from what I read. So I think it was a combination of like a practical thing. He was because he was on probation. He's like, I can't leave this guy here having the possibility of living because I'm going to be back in jail or whatever. So it was just like trying to do the job well. But, yeah, it seemed just because he'd been exploited his whole life by everyone or by a lot of people, the killer, and including Richard Barrett, the white supremacist, it was like finally exploded. Although he'd, he'd exploded in, on previous times uh, where he'd, like, beaten up his girlfriend. and he, so, so it wasn't like this one-off, but, yeah. Well, yeah. well he exploded, uh, you know, up uh, uh, Barrett's uh, keister there too a few yes. times, you know, which is, you know, a part of the story that is completely shocking and, uh, and, and so worth reading. And the book is called God... 
God will cut you down from the Johnny Cash song. Yes. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's it's really been a pleasure talking to you, John. Thanks so much for, no. for making the time. No, thank you. And uh, uh, you know, I was a guest on your show, and uh, and and uh, I, I've been listening to it. It's so good. Uh, that's called uh, uh, what is it? Sunday Night Saffron. Sunday Night Saffron. Yeah. And then so check it out. Thanks again. Thank you. Yeah.